And we're back, and you are with Villain Cast BJJ Antiheroes with myself, Chris the Villain Pains. Weekly podcasts featuring either my fellow black belt Naki Arshad on our show Reap the Week, or compelling interviews with other personalities across jujitsu. But before we jump into this next show, a thank you to our Patreon subscribers. If you'd like to receive these episodes one day early, along with exclusive video content and online coaching, you can find out more via chrispainsbjj.com or join our Discord channel to put your ideas through for future episode discussions. For now, though, Steve Hodinsky. How's it going, sir? It's been a while. It's going good, man. Good to see you again. Uh, um, last time yeah. you were here, we had a lot of fun. So it's always uh, a pleasure, it's, remember. You know, it's been a year now. I'm pretty sure it was, uh, it was last August I came out to you guys. It was just after I've been to Heidelberg, and I'm about to go Heidelberg again, which, depending when this episode comes out, I might actually be in Heidelberg. Um yeah, it feels surreal. It's been a whole year since uh, since Charles and I dropped in to to see you guys. Um, yeah, and uh, like I said, it was um, we were saying this before the uh, was hit, we hit record. Uh, so I went out to see Steve um, and his gym over in uh, just outside of Denver. It was, and Steve has some incredible stories. I thought if I ever get the podcast back going again i need to just listen to steve because he's been around a long time but for anyone who who isn't aware of your little uh niche of jiu-jitsu would you like to introduce yourself sir oh yeah yeah uh well steve hordinski uh, been training uh jiu-jitsu now about 26 years and i uh i started in hawaii when i was in the service and i was um i was stationed out there and i started training with elson gracie so uh, back in 1997, um, you know, stepped on the mat and never, never stopped. So, yeah, I've been doing a long time. If I I feel weird that sometimes I'll meet people and they're like, "Oh, how long have you done jujitsu?" I'm like, "Oh, 14 years." And then I hear how long you've been doing it, and I'm like, "You, you add an extra 12 or automatically onto what I what I've done." I feel very new in this sport still compared to yourself. Um, so yeah, those early days and uh, of, of, I mean, 1996, you would have been, well, 96, 97, you would have been the, one of the first people to start jujitsu then. That's so long ago. Yeah. There was, uh, so in Hawaii, um, there was like maybe two generations before me that was like uh, uh, Egan and Ensign and Noi. They were with Helson. Um, they branched off, did their own thing. I came in right after that. So uh, the guys I started learning from were uh, Chris and Mike Ozuka. Uh They run uh, O2 Mixed Martial Arts out there in Hawaii. They're Helsinki and Gracie guys as well. So I started a little satellite school. And, um, yeah, that was uh, – so I would probably say there's like one generation at least uh, before me because those guys have been like doing it uh, – like before he even had his school when they were teaching out at UH, the uh, University of Hawaii. So, yeah, as a, but other than that, yeah, I've been around for a long time, definitely. Um, 1997, if you talked about jujitsu, people would be like, definitely haya all the time. They're like, are oh, you do jujitsu? Like karate haya? It's like, no, nah, it's still not like really that. like that. <laughs> well, think- yeah, but it was like it, like that all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I, I always tell people I was doing jiu-jitsu before it was cool. 
You know, nobody really knew what the hell it was. Dude, it's still not cool. <laughs> Don't worry. We're all in that boat. Um, so It's only cool to us. It's only cool to us. Yeah, exactly. You talk to anyone outside the jiu-jitsu sphere, it ain't cool still. Um, so what was training like back then? Like those early days, uh, maybe some, some weirdos who had some UFC VHS um, knew about jiu-jitsu, but what was what was it like uh, in the gym back in those days, learning it for the f- those those first intake? Um, well, so if we go back to the beginning, um, when I first started jiu-jitsu, you know, actually, you know, before I went to the military, you know, the first UFC was here in uh, uh, Colorado, right, uh, 1993. I was uh, a sophomore or a fresh, no, 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 I was a junior, junior in high school. Uh, when that happened and, um, you know, I went over, I was like, wow, this, this is crazy. I've never seen anything like this. So the next best thing, uh, I was training in Kempo karate. So I was doing the stand up martial arts and the next best thing was wrestling. So I signed up for wrestling my senior year just to get some experience on the ground and how to develop takedowns or not get taken down. And if I did being somewhat confident there, um, but it wasn't until I joined the service in uh, 94 after uh, I graduated high school I uh, went out to Great Great Lakes Illinois went to boot camp all in all ended up stationed in Hawaii um, and that's where I found jiu-jitsu I was on deployment Uh, we were in uh, on an old uh, LST 1184 it was like a um, amphib where we we brought marines on and we you know took them around to do their stuff and one marine on board was Phil Cardella and uh he was uh, doing some jujitsu in the uh, or martial arts in the, the tank deck, and that's where all the um, all the vehicles are that the uh, Marines bring. So they brought a couple of mats, threw them down there. I went down there the f- first time, saw what they were doing. I was like, "All right, let me see if this works." And literally, uh, Phil Cardella just kicked the shit out of me. It was it was vicious. <laughs> And it was like, I was like, oh man, if you wanted to kill me, this man could kill me with his bare hands, for real. Oh, sorry, I lost my my head. But uh, but when I experienced that, when I experienced that, I was like, you know what? I got to learn this. And so we started training. Or I'd be on a watch, uh, six hours on, six hours off. My off time, I was training for like hours down that tank deck with them and a, a few other Marines. And uh, that's when it all started. When we got back to uh, uh, Hawaii, I immediately started uh, training at the uh, satellite school with Chris and Mike Onzuka. And so we were training uh, uh, a gymnastics uh, center where it was like carpet padded floor. So like you didn't drag your knees, you didn't drag your toes, you played on the balls of your feet because it was it was it would get uh, those carpet burns would get pretty nasty. So in the beginning, oh, I, it was very, you know what I'm talking about. So I actually, before I, uh, I had a, 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 a small gym for a smaller period of time. It was in a, it was on a badminton court with some, those carpet gymnastics mats. There was about five of us. And yeah, you, you didn't want to go to the ground necessarily because it fucking hurt. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I'm very aware that they are not good for doing jujitsu on. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it didn't take me too long to figure out like don't drag your knees. So I was always playing on my toes, and uh, and that, that actually helped with the pressure. You know, I was able to put more pressure on people. So, um, but yeah, in the beginning, it was like oh, it was like just 
barbarians, man. We just kick the crap out of each other. We do class, you know, we I'd show up at the academy and, and we'd go for about, uh, um, I'd get there really, really early and I'd literally just sleep on the mat. And, and once, you know, I'd have my gi over my head or I'd be like laying on my gi. And as soon as I started hearing, you know, people and I started hearing the, the, the training going on, I'd wake up and it was on. We just trained for hours. You know, after, after the training, we would do class, you know, Helsing would uh, let us train first and then I uh, would run class. So it worked out pretty good, but, yeah, in the beginning, we were just, I don't think, we we're, we're just trying to beat each other up, man. <laughs> I think uh, I think those, those few of us maybe who were around uh, early earlier days, it was just a case of, there's this thing called grappling. We don't really know what it's about, but we just know we can't punch each other. Let's just hurt each other and see what happens. And yeah. that's all, all, all the instruction we had. Um, so... You've, you know, you're there then, you know, it's kind of fun that you are, you know, you're in Colorado and people think of, you know, jujitsu landing in California and that kind of being the initial um, explosion. We think, you know, where you're, where you're at is like, it's ground zero because that's where, where it, it started. That's where people first saw that, oh shit, like there's something, there's something else about these uh, martial arts. It's not ninjas anymore. It's a... Uh, Whatever the hell these ground guys are, um, yeah. So yeah, that like you 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 know, despite you know, then you know, disappearing off to Hawaii and, and learning out there, you you are born at the ground zero of jujitsu, which is just so strange that you have one of these gyms right there, and I'm I'm so glad I got to to meet you there. Um, so you've watched then that the you know you you you're training with these guys, and it's just you know a bunch of dudes kicking the shit out of each other. Where did jiu-jitsu change then? How did, how did jiu-jitsu change over the uh, preceding years? Okay. Um, well, so my first competition, um, white belt, I, uh, it was 1997, and I had been just training out at sea with Phil. And then I came back, and I think I maybe had like a few, few months where I was training at uh, uh, the satellite location with uh, the Unzuka brothers. And um, I went and did that competition, and, and I, had, I had a blast. I mean, I dislocated the tip of my finger. That was the first time I jacked up my hand. Went in to grab and went boom. But, you know, that was the first match. But I finished out pretty good. I, uh, I won my division, um, won all submissions, and then I lost in the open. Got caught with the big guy. He had my head. I didn't know what to do. Uh, it's still pretty brand new. And immediately after that, you know, um, Helson told me I was going to start come training with him at his academy. And uh, I got my blue belt probably after uh, six or seven months of training. And then uh, I was pretty, you know, I was in the competition. I was competing as much as I could. Helson, you know, would, um, you know, he didn't, I didn't pay for lessons. I would just go out there and represent the team. And because I was winning a lot of competitions, uh, you know, Helson just kind of let it be that that was our, our, our thing, you know, I go out and compete, win, and uh, show up and train. And um, so it was pretty cool. Um, it wasn't until, like, I was I, – I always felt like after training that I was so dang tired. Like, like literally, it took everything for me to get into my house and, like, you know, get up and take a shower. I literally just come – I put it all on the mat every time, every day, and I would – get into the uh 
my house and I would just lay on the floor for about like 20, 30 minutes. I'm like, all right, time to get cleaned up and eat and everything. But um, one of the guys I used to hang out with, we used to carpool back and forth in Hawaii, uh, Rex, he would always talk to me. He would talk to me. There's going to be a time. There's going to be a time when it starts to make sense and you're going to train and you're going to be like, hey, I'm not that tired. It wasn't until I was like probably well into my blue belt that one day I, I remember coming home and I was like, well, uh, that I, I'm not I'm not as tired. So I started developing technique and it was mostly probably because I had a good trainer partner. Barrett Yoshida was was the guy I trained with the most there. Hmm. And we would always drill. So we would drill in the beginning. And I thought, I, th I really think that the drilling in the beginning, uh, drilling, you know, arm bars, triangles, basic stuff that you're going to use all the time. Um, I think that really kind of set set me up to have like a good foundation in jiu-jitsu, good training partners, drilling and, and competition. And then, you know, wanting to evaluate. We did video all the time, health center record all our, all our matches. And uh, we would do video study afterwards, and we would be like, all right, how do I correct this? How do I stop this, you know? But um, I think that the, the biggest things for me when it started to, like, become, like, a system was uh, probably, you know, towards the end of my blue belt. And it was, like, drilling. I was logging it. I was paying attention to how I was getting caught. I was paying attention to what submissions were working good for me. And then, you know, just going out and battle testing it, you know, competing every – every competition I could, you know. So from that style then that, you know, you kind of developed your, your way of learning of, you know, like you say, do the fundamentals, bow test, fix, you know, uh, and study. Um, how has that informed how you run your gym? So like I say you, you, you have the, the cathode training center. Um, how, yeah, do you, uh, how do you structure how you, you bring your, your students forwards then? Well, so I did um, – the one thing that I will say is like it wasn't – like our classes were not organized with Helsin. It was kind of like you'd ask questions. They were very interactive. They were great classes, but it's like um, only the strong survived in, in that environment. Like only the people that were fine just getting beat up, getting worked all the time. You know, um, it just it wasn't it, – the curriculums weren't there. It wasn't very organized. So it was definitely uh, the first thing that I did uh, with one of my uh, other uh, friends. He's a black belt that came out from Hawaii to, to kind of help uh, set up shop here in Colorado was uh, Kimo. Uh, Kimo came out. He kind of showed me from what he picked up from all the years of training with Helsin, kind of this is what we did in these areas. So he kind of gave me a rough draft. And then from that, I developed my fundamentals uh, curriculum to um, encompass those ideas with like uh, takedowns, some of the self-defense to, you know, kind of um, stay true to the, the Gracie jiu-jitsu kind of way of things, uh, at least the things that I thought were applicable for grappling. And then, um, and then just picking like, you know, fundamental movements, how to transition into the mount, uh, a couple ways to do that, what to do from the mount how to escape the mount, then move into the next. So I, did, I developed a 27-lesson rotating curriculum where I do one lesson a week, and I do the first half and the second half, Tuesday, Thursday. Um, that right there was a really good program for me, though, because I put me into a consistent 
uh, program where I would constantly get better every time I'll go through it because I would see a better way of doing something the more time I spent there and the more time I spent teaching uh, different people how to how to like be proficient in these areas. And I'm like, side control escapes. I'm going to close this door real quick because the damn washer keeps going. Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No worries. But, uh, but it was really, um, I still, to this day, I teach my fundamentals for that reason, because I know every time I go through the fundamentals, I'm going to pick up a bunch of details about my jujitsu that I learned from Helson, my interpretation of it. And every time I feel like I just level up every, 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 um, rotation we do. So, uh, I think the fundamentals curriculum was the, the, the best thing I did for my um, for my academy, but not, I didn't keep it rigid. I always allow for the fundamentals to adapt. I think that that's what's unique about jujitsu is that, you know, it's a living art, you know, it's constantly evolving. People are getting better at doing things. They're understanding, you know, how to, um, like, for example, what you showed, you showed some really good things that like me, who's been doing it for a long time, immediately could apply to my game, which is that idea change of where to put your arms and how to keep people from passing and keep them, like you said, uh, south of your knees. And, um, but definitely the fundamentals set that to where it gave me a good platform to grow and expand off of. So um, moving into 2020 is when we changed uh, everything because, uh, you know, we weren't running classes here. We were just um, training all the time and then, people were learning because of the training and we would control the training would be like, all right, here, we're going to be in, in closed guard and you have to hold this position and maintain this structure and make people work around you working the balance and the tension. And these guys just start passing guard. They don't even know what they're called. They were doing knee cut pass backside pass. They didn't know any of the names of the guard pass. And they just knew hold structure. And when it opens move. So we started implementing more of that old school idea of training first, conceptually uh, uh, teaching next. So my advanced classes are all concept. I don't really teach a lot of steps or anything. I just teach them how to control, how to transition, and then some options of, of, of finishing or, or uh, moving into another position. But um, yeah, I, I just went straight concepts out of 2020. So that's why it was really good to work with you because you were already – you're teaching concepts. Charles is teaching concepts. Javier Vasquez is teaching concepts. So I think concepts are the way to go. Well, um, it's it's interesting. I, when it comes to, to you know, very similar to what you've just been saying is you need to put kind of more faith in people. Like if you teach them the basic, you know, physics and physiology of, of jiu-jitsu about why – things work the way they do and then just leave them to it they come out with the right answer eventually because yeah. the, you know if, if we were to delete uh, all of human information we'll rediscover physics we rediscover maths and if we were yeah. to completely delete all our understanding of jiu-jitsu and then let a thousand years pass we'd rediscover jiu-jitsu because it's just physics um yeah and I think if you give people those options, now of course, like you know, sometimes you have to kind of help them along with the the things that you've kind of already discovered. But 
I think giving them too much of a guide and walking them through it and not allowing them to to understand the the context for what they're doing is unhealthy and it's it's and it's easy as a coach to I've said it before like try and prove your worth by showing how smart you are and want to keep just giving people more and more information but like I said as a, in fundamentals it's just it's the same thing repeatedly as in these are the the physics and the physiology of jiu-jitsu enjoy yeah. like go go see how your body works um and discover and and you'll get the context for what we're we're talking about and i think it's it's very easy to get stuck in that um cycle of needing to always just handhold people through um i think it's it's almost um too unhelpful sometimes it's 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 counterintuitive yeah. in that way yeah i agree with that man you know everybody's gonna have stuff that they do different but like jujitsu is like you're able to express yourself you're you're a lot of your personality comes out in your rolling and when i look back you know i took a lot of class in the beginning to get the understand how the rules were or how the game was played once i understood like this is what i want to do from this position this is the objective here then it was a lot of just self-learning, you know, a lot of just getting in those positions and being like, all right, I got stuck here. This didn't work. Maybe I try this. And then I would just, you know, kind of, you know, tinker with jujitsu and, and cop with stuff that made sense to me. And that happened like, like what, about that time when I was, you know, halfway through my blue belt, that's when I started just like innovating off those basic ideas and I would be like, all right, I'm looking for the most efficient and effective way for me to move. And and how I would I would trust my body, though, too. Because if it felt like I was using too much strength, then I'd be like, all right, I have to figure out why I'm using too much strength and see if I can't dial it back to where I'm using more technique than strength. And then um, I started, you know uh, – I look going for a feel when the move felt right, when it felt effortless, when it felt fluid, when it felt, uh, smooth, not clunky. Uh, when the, the crucial battles of, uh, in those transitions were easy to win. That's when I knew that it was something that I would add to my game, like my knee shield. And, um, you know, the way that I play that, the, all the stuff that's in my game from day one to, you know, 26 years later, um, that stuff was all developed on those mats in Hawaii. And uh, we had a lot of tough guys coming through because Hawaii was like kind of a hub. A lot of people might not know this, but so back in the day when Halson brought jiu-jitsu to Hawaii, he set up shop there. He was bringing guys to uh, the worlds. And, and, and this is when they were uh, being held when the jiu-jitsu competitions were being held in, in Brazil. And he was one of the first to bring in non-Brazilian world champions, not at the black belt level right away, but the first ones were, was like Kendall Gu. Kendall Gu came in, he won that blue belt in Brazil. And if you kind of know how they structured it there, it's like everyone, all the different like uh, uh, cities or whatever in Brazil would have, they would do qualifiers to be able to compete in those tournaments. The Americans, we could just come in and compete because we travel. But uh, they they have they all had to qualify. 
So it was pretty impressive that uh, Kendall Gu was in there and Kelly Musagar. They were both uh, guys that went out there with uh, with uh, Helson, and they got first and second, and then they fought, and then Kendall Wagu got first. So uh, that was pretty neat to know. And then, you know, seeing in Hawaii, like we had – by then we had Grappling Unlimited. Um, you know, there was already a, 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 a bunch of jiu-jitsu schools popping off. Like you had Homolo, uh, Longman Jiu-Jitsu. You know, these places were starting to grow in Hawaii. And at the same time, you know, saw so you see growth coming into New York – uh, um, California and Florida, but in the beginning, it was Helson used to say uh, Brazil was number one for jiu-jitsu, Hawaii was number two, and now, of course, you know jiu-jitsu is everywhere. So you can't really. I, I, I still say that probably California, Florida, and uh, New York are probably the hot spots. Midwest is pretty, pretty popping out here though now nowadays as well. So it's everywhere, but back then it was. There were only a few places where you could find good jiu-jitsu. Yeah, completely. I say it was. It was. I mean, being in the UK, I feel that we were a good few years behind, uh, behind, behind you guys. Definitely. Um, I mean, we don't. I mean, I, I remember even when I started in, in two thousand and nine. You know, black belts weren't common, and you know, if you saw a purple belt, that was like. Oh damn! Like that—that that yeah. person's a dangerous person. They weren't that common. Um, now, you know, in 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 my yeah. town alone, there's a good four or five black belts. And you think that wasn't that wasn't the case? Um, yeah. It feels weird. It feels like there's going to be a. It has to be a saturation point um, where you know we kind yeah. of hit kar- peak karate and it kind of uh, goes downhill again. I mean, it's going back to yeah, some of the stuff you did say. Um, it's actually quite like interesting is that you know we're, we're both guys who came through uh when there was you know not much in the way of of uh information on jiu-jitsu i mean obviously you had helson but uh you know we kind of left to our devices to try and just figure this game out um with the and train hard um and it's funny you talk about how the fundamental classes I've really helped you. And I find that I've, I've, I've always been of the opinion of, I, I will teach the beginners. Um, just cause I, I'm allowed to think of, of the concepts and the, and the movements repeatedly. And they settle into my head better. Cause I'm always trying to find a simple way of explaining them. And anything I don't want to do, I play. And that, I, I think that's probably one of the, the best ways of learning jujitsu, which then completely yeah. goes against the idea that I put classes on, um and so i know that you know it, this is it's you know it was like looking into a mirror like hearing what you're saying of um teaching the fundamentals exploring the ideas in your head and then playing and seeing you know what felt the most natural for you and, and having the time um and the the space to play um it almost feels like it was, it's then trying to create that environment for for people underneath us as in well this is how i learn why can't i just give it to you as well it's 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 almost like yeah. you i mean it's i'm at the point now where i don't actually show i don't do much in classes like i'll show one technique or i'll show an idea yeah. um yeah. like i'll say right guys i want you to um 
deny the other person uh like say one person's on their back um one person's upright person who's upright deny the other person going behind you in any way they can't go behind your knees they can't go behind your head they can't go behind your body okay deny guard um deny it and then try and get past their knees and see you in an hour uh i'll see you at sparring i'm just gonna leave you to figure it out um you don't need me uh off my ritalin you know reminding you you of new techniques every five minutes i'm just gonna allow you to play and and i've given you the context like this is what guard feels like is when they get these access points don't let them um feel your way through it absolutely yeah Um, I, i mean that's pretty cool you know uh you make me feel old, though, man. You you you, uh, you said uh, 2009 is when you when Dude, you started. I know. You don't even have 12 I, years. That's hilarious. I, I was a black. I got my black belt January 17, 2009. I started so. March 4th, I think it was, uh, or March 3rd or something. So, yeah, I can't you, believe you, how that's time Dude, flying, that's, bro. I've been having so much fun with you. That's what <laughs> I find, that's what I, again like. One of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is that, that you've been a black belt longer than I've even been doing this. Um, and you would have probably been one of the rare black belts around in those days. Um, well, and, you know, uh, you... Uh... Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, carry on. Carry on. Oh, carry on. <laughs> I was going to say, you know what you described, though? Like uh, the purple belt, you know, back in Hawaii, that was so true. When I was on the mat, I'd be like, if you saw a purple belt come in, you're like, dang, that guy's got to be good. He's a purple belt. We didn't have any black belts. The first black belt that Helson ever promoted was uh, Steve Maxwell. And uh, Oh, yeah, of course. That was a long time ago. And then, um, you know, some other guys got it. I moved away. I got mine in, uh, uh, like I said, uh, uh, 2009 uh, in January. And uh, But, man, like, if you are a purple belt, man. I used to come out here to Colorado too. Uh, I saw the scene; uh, it was brand new here uh, because when I was in the military, um, I would come back on leave, and I wanted to go train, so I would go down train in Boulder with Amal Easton, and uh, I would always go there. My dad actually started training jujitsu because I took him down there once, told him I wanted to open up a school, and he said, "Well, I better learn what this is." And so he started training jiu-jitsu back in, uh, what, like uh, around 2000. He's been training a long time. He's a third-degree black belt as well. Oh, wow. But uh, Yeah, but those were the times, man. It's, so, it just happened like that, though, man. It's like I feel like it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's I feel so crazy sometimes. I'm sitting on the mats that I'm – I'm bringing up stories of the past. Like, you know, you guys don't know what it was like. And, you know, I remember the days before you could get a rash guard and stuff like that. Or like, geese came in two sizes, big or small. And it was like, like that, was, that was it. And they're like, what the fuck are you on about? Like, it wasn't that long ago. Like, it feels like long ago. It feels, you know, it's not, it's not age, it's mileage. And we've put a lot of mileage on the mats. Um, oh, yeah. So when did you uh, open your gym then? Um when you, so, yeah, when did you get back to to the, uh, Colorado? All right. So um, when I was uh, so being stationed in Hawaii, um, there's a lot of billets, you know, you can fulfill in the Navy. Uh, but you know, I was looking for something very specific that would allow for me to train. So I went to um, 
volunteer for Navy Dive School in 1999. I was up for orders. I wanted to make sure I could come back to Hawaii. I talked to some divers. They said there was a lot of uh, places I could go as a, as a Navy diver and stay in Hawaii. So I put in my package. I shipped out to Panama City, Florida for five and a half months of training uh, where I learned to become a Navy diver. And I uh, had a when I was when I got there, you know, I was like, well, I need to find a place to train jujitsu, and there was nowhere. But I found some martial arts schools with some really crappy uh, pads or matted floors like like that, and I was like, well, this will work. You know, even if there was grass, I didn't care. I was like, I'm trying. But uh, I got out there. I went through dive school. They had some mats. I eventually had a key to the dive school. Like they trusted me as a student to have a key to the dive school because. Like I trained jujitsu, I was competing, and the captain or the commanding officer of the uh, of the dive school, he liked me. He had a little experience in jujitsu, and we all used to get together on the weekends and, and fight each other, <laughs> you know, choke each other, and you know, put each other in arm bars. And uh, he told me if I was to graduate, you know, uh, first of my class, then I would get sent back to Hawaii. He cut me orders. I got second in the class. He said that was good. He said it was good enough. Good job. I'm sending you back. So I went back to Hawaii. I uh, I got to my first dive locker, and you know I was heavily into competition. But being in Hawaii, you've got to take leave, and the military only gives you like two weeks to leave every year. And I would blow through that in one competition or two competitions. So I was like, well, so I didn't come home to see my family much. I went to go and compete until um, I got to that first dive locker, and one of the guys, Tim Hall. He was a senior diver there, and he's someone I looked up to, and he was on the all-Navy ski team. So I went to him. I said, hey, tell me more about when you were on the all-Navy ski team. He's like, well, I started it. I was like, how did you start this? So he told me what he did. It went down to MWR, started it. So I went down to MWR, and I started the all-Navy jiu-jitsu team, and I was the only person on it so that I could take more leave <laughs> – yeah. I was like, I was like, take a leave. My commanding officers, they were, they, they hated. How are you getting all the sleep? I was like, oh, Navy Jiu-Jitsu, you're the only guy. But I got to go <laughs> do all these competitions. I got to travel to the mainland. I got to go to Brazil, compete, you know. So it was like it, my plan worked. And uh, I did that. Uh, was that Mudsu one? Uh uh, shoreside where we worked on the nuclear submarines fixing them and ships and everything then i went to uh, mudsu seaside where we did all the deep water salvage and, and more of the traveling but um yeah i spent 10 11 years in the navy 10 years of that was pretty much in hawaii and majority of it was training jujitsu so i got out in 2005 i was going to re-enlist i thought about you know, moving into um, something different with the, the in the dive community. I was thinking about EOD or something like that. Or even, you know, now that my eyes were fixed, I was like, maybe I could go to Buds or something like that, which is kind of what I originally wanted to do. But after training jujitsu for that long, I was like, I just want to compete and open up a school. Called my dad. Hey, dad, I'm up for orders. Uh, I th- I'm thinking about going EOD. He's like, why don't you think about coming home? <laughs> So I came home, my grandfather, he was doing that great. So, you know, it was good to spend time with him. And uh, I worked some bullshit jobs, man. It was terrible. 
I found out that I am the worst employee that anybody could hire because if I could do the job better than you, I don't even fucking listen to you. And so I, I finding work, being a vet, being a guy who is, you know, in a special programs, I was like, man, I, I, I'm better off doing my own thing. So I walked out away from a sales job, suit and tie. Um, uh, there was a guy that was uh, serving at this local um, place that we would go eat lunch. You know, it was called Bar Louie. His name's Justin Salas. We'd go there and uh, and he would serve us. And he saw that I had cauliflower here and he was a fighter. And so he asked me if I wrestled. And I said, no, I trained jiu-jitsu. I'm a brown belt. I was a brown belt at the time. I was like, I'm a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. And he's like, well, I'm a fighter. Can you come and you know work with me on some stuff? I was like, yeah. So the next day I had suit and tie. I brought training gear and I showed up at the gym, took off the suit and tie, trained with him. And two weeks later, I quit my job and I was working for nothing at this gym uh, called L.A. Boxing where I was teaching mm -hmm. jujitsu. Uh, it was terrible because they had booty shaking music and they, the girls uh, cardio kickboxing. I'm trying to teach jujitsu here, but it got me started. And I, I worked with Justin and a few of the guys. This is my first uh, time working inside of MMA. Um, and uh, it was back like, what, 2006 or seven year, 2007, I think it was. And um, from there, I started acquiring, you know, getting students in. And I decided to leave L.A. Boxing. And I was going to go to Boulder. I had an affiliate in Boulder. And uh, so I would just teach there. And then I was like, well, I need to open my own school. So I moved back home to my dad's house. You know, that's pretty kind of embarrassing when you're like, you know, an, an adult. Because I was like 20, hmm. 30 years old, 30-something. I was like 32 years old. I'm going to start a jiu-jitsu school. But I'm going to move back home. So I moved back home, told my dad what we were going to do. And then in 2009, after I competed in the uh, uh, Worlds, that was the last uh, big competition I did, Black Belt Division, I uh, opened up the school with my dad. And that was uh, – we were in a, a dungeon. It was, it, was, it was a basement. You went down there. It stunk. It was low ceilings, no natural light. But that was the place we started. And uh, we moved out of that place into this one within five years. So back in back nice. then, yeah, it was it was in a recession too. So like nobody was, you know, really starting businesses back then. But I was like, well, I'll figure this out. No experience, didn't know what the hell I was gonna do. Didn't know if I was gonna be able to pay rent. I was like, let's just fucking go for it and figure out if we can do it. My dad would always say, I'll be. I said, Dad, I think we're gonna do great. I think we're doing real good. He's like, I'll just be happy when we can pay the bills. <laughs> he used to say that all the time. But, <laughs> I think we've all, uh, we've all, we've all been in those, like, last like I mean, you know, I, I, it's funny hearing these stories because I, it was the exact same for me. I started in a, um, I ran a gym in a, uh, fitness center. Um, it had the exact same style of music on. There was about 10 mats if I was lucky and I remember putting adverts out in the papers and stuff like that. I think I was on the front page and I had one guy show up on my first day. I was like, cool, uh, let's start then. I didn't know, if, you know, fucking clue what I was doing. Um, and yeah, you know, like I said, I've been on, then uh, that gym closed, so I ended up on the, 
you know, rolling out gymnastics mats on a badminton court and you had people like on the courts next to us still playing badminton. And I was just like four, four guys on some carpet, like rough mats, just like, you know, hurting oh, yeah. each other. Um, you know, we'd move the net out the way and just start doing that. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, if there's mats, if there's somewhere on the floor, we could lie down and do stuff like jujitsu can exist. Um, and we just hope, People don't look at it as weird and they join in and eventually it can pay bills and we can get bigger places. Um, yeah. That's literally the story of, of most of us at this point. Um, you got to start somewhere, so man. Yeah, you, exactly. Um, and it, was, it was funny. Like, uh, I've got a uh, student over in, well, uh, affiliate um, I'm helping out over in Switzerland. I'm actually seeing him next week. Um, and he had some issues with his instructor. His instructor was, wasn't the, the, maybe the nicest person. He was a blue belt. I was like, look, you know, why don't you get your own place? If you're not happy, like, if you, you know, you feel it's an unhealthy atmosphere, start somewhere. He goes, well, how? I was like, just find a kickboxing gym or something that'll just, if they have some mats, just ask if you can rent it for an hour or two a week and start there. And now he's in probably one of the nicest dojos I've ever seen. Um, nice. And he's got a good group around him. And this is like taking him two years and he's already there. I'm like, so you just have to. Trust, you know, if you've got good jujitsu and you've got somewhere people can just sit on the floor comfortably, like it'll grow. Don't you worry. Um, yeah. But you've got to eat shit for a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, we've all been the shit places. I remember. Uh, dude, I remember times, man. I'd be like, like I don't know. I I never, I never would give up. But if I, there's times when I was like, how am I gonna make this work? It was it was mm-hmm. discouraging and rewarding. And even even now, there's always challenges, but it just it's my tolerance for stress and my tolerance to deal with yeah. these ongoing problems has gotten to the point where it doesn't really affect me as much, you know, because I figure, you know, I've been around for a long time now. I've, I think I've had my gym what since 2009. When I opened it, real first first year, my first month open was March 2010. I did a soft opening, and then, yeah, I've been going ever since. So, and it's it's always been stressful. Um, I moved into this place way too early. Uh, I had, I was a not a good leader uh, in the beginning because that's another thing is like it wasn't just the jujitsu that I had to learn. I had to learn to be a little bit nicer to people. I had to learn to, you know, talk to people. I used to throw people out of my school if they're, if if they got if it got sideways, I'd just like get the fuck out, you know. Like I would just I would fucking yell at someone and be like, get the fuck out of here, you know. Like not the best, but you know, Helson was kind of like that, so it kind of made sense that I would be like that. He would he would throw people out too, but I didn't tolerate a lot, and I didn't really have the 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 patience or the communication skills um even teaching my first ideas around teaching is like i would just show the move and i would tell people to do it like me and then i would try to adjust them but you know not everybody's going to move like you especially if you've been doing it a long time it's it's an unrealistic expectation for me to say that so i started developing doing leadership courses i started you know learning to speak better doing like um public uh speaking courses and then just to kind of build those confidence 
when you're in front. And then, you know, doing seminars too, you know, you build a lot of, I enjoy doing seminars. Seminars are fun because it's a new group and you get to go in. And uh, I like, I like always teach different because that's when all that training will come out. Like where you, the speaking, the, the engagement, you, you know, making it fun. Like you guys did when you did your seminar, you made it fun. You know, I think that's an important to, as a presenter to make the information interesting, simple, easy to apply and have fun, you know. I think it was actually, uh, I was listening to, um, I think it might have been Theo Vaughn. Uh, I think I was listening to his podcast. He had a, uh, a comedian on and they were talking about delivering, uh, well, you know, doing doing comedy, doing a comedy night. And, you know, they, they don't go in necessarily with a script. They just have these ideas in their head and they, they're trying to then tell a story live and like make everything kind of flow together and they have the little cues maybe that kind of like lead them on to the next part of the story. And I could really relate to that as in when when doing seminars that I go I could be sitting there for a three hour period and I've got to weave a story together of like I've got these ideas in my head. I haven't written a script for this. I know roughly how everything kind of interweaves. But I'm I'm making a story right now. Like I'm I'm trying to tell it in a way that's going to keep you engaged and it leads on to the next thing it's just not oh here's three things um and that's uh you know i remember going to seminars previously and you know i'd be like oh you know at the end of it maybe this the black belt wouldn't roll and be like motherfucker like you know that's the best part of this why aren't you rolling and then after doing seminars personally i'm like i am fucked like after three hours of like keeping that story going my brain is fried Hey, like, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll put some roles in, but don't expect me to be that useful. Um, and exactly, I think it was uh, I had uh, um, I think it was Greg Soders. I might have said it recently. I had him on my podcast, uh, and he was talking about Danaher. Uh, it might be on the podcast. It might have been when we were talking afterwards. But he said, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to fail as a coach. Um, you have to be. You have to know you will. Um, and I kind of like the idea that. Yeah, especially, you know, if I, I look at a student and think, you know, look at how you roll now compared to how you rolled like four years ago. Like you could be a purple belt. Now you might have been a white belt four years ago, for example. Uh, do you roll the same? Mm-hmm. No. Why well, the fuck would I? Well, same for me coaching. Like I know I'm a black belt, but my coaching is should improve just as much as your rolling. And I could I should be able to look back at how I was coaching four years ago. What the fuck was I saying? Like, that's, yeah. that's like yeah. watching a dumbass roll um and like i say it's that whole you know my my student uh my school had a, a a reputation for being for being rough uh like my coach put me in hospital the first night i was there um what and oh yeah he fucked me up that hard like, i thought i was dying um so I, was gonna, I, I went to the emergency room afterwards but i when i took over i kept that same mentality that i was like you know fuck either get fucked up or, or, you know, this ain't proper. Um, I mean, we used to do, one of the things we used to have us do was animal night. Um, do not do that anymore. Uh, and it used to be, you couldn't do technique. You weren't allowed to do techniques. You weren't allowed to do submissions. And you couldn't hold a position for more than three seconds. You just had to brutally hurt someone bad enough that they just quit. Um, wow. And that you'd, you'd, you'd bleed by the end of it. Like, there was just blood everywhere. And you think, no wonder no one stayed for those first years because you had to have something wrong with you to like want to carry that on. And then that's how I was coaching, you know, ten years ago. Uh, 
if someone was to like watch my video, if I says I was to do a video from ten years ago, that you know this is what I'm doing, this animal night, let's you know you you need someone's throat in enough, and they'll eventually quit. Um, I don't coach like that anymore. Uh, yeah, and it's yeah, exactly. Your ability to do, to do delivery. I mean, it was actually it was interesting when I started doing these videos, um, like re- recording to like um, to camera. Uh, I was like, how the fuck do you record to camera? Like the first time I sat down with a camera in front of my face, I went, uh, yeah, I have a technique to show. Um, so I looked at what YouTubers do because I'm like, they deliver to camera all the time. Like, how the f- how the fuck do you deliver? And one of the things that they said, you know, kind of kept on coming back up was, don't imagine it as a camera, imagine it as a as a person. Um, so I used to hang yeah. photos underneath the camera of friends. And like deliver to my friends. Um, it's That's easy cool. now, like because you know, there's I know there's people listening, uh, so I'm like I'm delivering for you. Uh, but it's the exact same of you could. Uh, you, uh, it's easy in jujitsu to to want to listen to people have done well, uh, especially competitively. Um, yeah, the biggest hurdles communication. I, I don't give a shit what people have won in competition you could have won all the worlds um you could be mr jiu-jitsu universe for all i give a fuck about but if you can't communicate your ideas and and help me understand the the message you're trying to give i i won't understand what the fuck you're doing then um yeah and yeah so i think that's i say it's one of the biggest things that if you're gonna own the, if you're gonna be a black belt in a gym uh yeah cool be a good role but if you're gonna run a gym and be a coach learn communication and it may not just be from the jujitsu sphere it could be from anything look at i say this all the time like look at the the best coaches and managers in other sports like nfl you know uh, soccer in the uk um it wasn't good footballers it wasn't good athletes it was good good communicators um yeah and it's yeah I'd, i'd listen to a smart communicating purple belt over a world champion black belt any day um and oh, yeah. yeah you're completely right it's if you're gonna be a leader in the gym like be learn to be a leader don't just think you have to learn more jujitsu it doesn't help yeah it's um you know i, I get a lot from teaching that that's really uh you know it's neat to it's very inspiring to see you know the way jujitsu will change uh, someone's perspective, someone's life, you know. And, you know, you work with a lot of vets or, you know, just people who have a lot of trauma, they come in and do jiu-jitsu. That's great. And and I get – there's nothing that makes me happier than to see that person become a savage on the mat. So, and, and also for my selfish motivation, the better I make them, the better my techniques have to be so we all level up. So I pour into my students – I, 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 we, our, our classes, my, my lunch crew is really special to me, but all my, all my students, but in that lunch crew, I say here, like, for example, this week, uh, next week, moving into next week, we're probably going to do this for, we'll stay with one idea for like a month, two months, sometimes depends on how much we're discovering as a, as a whole. But like this next month is going to be, all right, every negative position, you're going to stand up. The objective is just to stand up. I don't care if it's side control. I don't care if you're mounted, they're on your back. Your job is to stand up. And so we're playing with an, that idea that um, I don't know where he got it, but Charles, he came out, he was doing a, 
he did a little filming for us on choke theory and he was talking about the 10 seconds of stillness you know he's like the 10 seconds of stillness yeah, yeah. and i was like oh boy i could use that and I, I was like, well, it doesn't just apply to choking. It applies to any any time when there's stress, muscle stress that I'm putting on myself, either locking, framing, pushing, pulling. Uh, I can use that. So we went into uh, – and, I, and I, I did that seminar. And then the next weekend, I was in the uh, UFC coaching my, my fighter, his, his UFC debut – uh, in um, this last um, on uh, July 16th, right? With uh, he fought JDM, and he's he's first debut. He's co-main event, and he's fighting a ranked fighter. And we just did a 25, 30 pound weight cut. So I'm like, how? And you know, JDM's a good striker. His our strength is going to be takedown grappling, jujitsu. You know, and I'm like, this is going to be interesting. How do we prepare? Are a, a grappling match for a guy who just cut that much weight, and so we applied that idea in in that short, the the few days we had to prepare. And you know, my guy's a, he's a first degree black belt under uh, um, Phil uh, Ricardo Milgris Balance Studios. So he's comes from my lineage because we kind of all came up under that Helson flag. So it was easy to work with him. But we just introduced that one idea. And we saw in the uh, warm-up just how tired he could make someone who's fresh and in shape. Mm. So we applied it there. And I'll tell you, and like um, ideas like that, an idea like that is will change the way you do jiu-jitsu. And it, it, for me, it does. I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I can do something with this. And chokes that I would normally do work. Uh, but more importantly – we were able to put on a show against that guy when we were supposed to get knocked out in the first round, quote unquote. That's mm. what they, everybody was saying was going to happen. And went three rounds. I thought our guy won, man. He, we, we controlled on the ground the first two rounds, uh, control time, got some good hits in, but ultimately lost the split. But what I saw is an idea that I got from Charles, and I don't know where he got this idea. Uh, maybe you guys worked it together. I don't know, but that idea. Is something immediately I could apply into fighting and utilizing jujitsu in, in um, the way it, you know as a fight in a fight. So, um, man, I'm always learning. Every time I approach a new a new uh, problem, like if someone has a question, I always take the approach that I'm going to look at this as a, as a new thing. Even if I know the answer, I don't know the answer. The first thing I say is I don't know. Let's look at it. Because the moment I start to say, like, like I know it, I, I just don't feel like you're going to come into the – approach that problem with, the, like, like a, with an open mind. You're coming into it with, like, already a, a, an idea on how to go. And I tried to just not do that. Even if I know, like, all right, I know how to escape the mount. Uh, hey, I'm getting stuck here. I don't know. Let's, uh, let's look at it. And then I look at it as, like, as a white belt, and I trust my, my – my, years invested on the mat to find the most efficient way to move. And that's how I've been developing my jujitsu for the last, you know, probably 10 years. It's just, I don't know. Let's work on it. You know? So I think, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I, absolutely. There's a lot to be said about humility as in being able to, um, 
it was funny recently I've been talking about this idea of a league table in the gym of you know you go into the gym and you know you know where you are in the league uh, you don't want to to fall down the league you don't want people below you to submit you or whatever uh, and you want to climb the league but when you kind of hit the top like you know you get your black belt you stop caring about the league and you're just like well yeah. I, I know my th- I, you know I don't mind losing to beginners I don't mind saying I don't I don't know. Um, I think that was a scarier thing to admit lower down the rank in the league because, like, if someone said, well, you know, as a purple, do you know this? Yeah, yeah, I know this. You know, why wouldn't I know this? And I'm like, fuck, I don't. Um, I need to have a look at it. And it's your ability to, to change those opinions over time, I think, is, again, like one of those things is a healthy attitude to have and actually makes us better. And it's another one of those, those skills that, hopefully you know it's it's with a bit of introspection being able to go how do i give this to and everyone jujitsu like how do i get rid of the league table so you can admit you're wrong and go ah let's look at this again um the better I, the more i look at this the more i'm going to understand jujitsu yeah 100 percent. the more you look the more you see it's a it's, it's like it's, it's that rabbit hole it just keeps going <laughs> yeah <laughs> never exactly stops. um Exactly. Um, and it's funny as well. Like you talk about Charles. I, Charles, man, he's uh, he's. I don't think he knows the damage he does to to people's jujitsu once he leaves. Like he, he drops his little bombs and then he just walks off into the distance to the next the next little bit of traveling that he does, and we're left yeah. to pick up the pieces. Um, I mean, he has fundamentally changed my gym. Uh, I don't think he appreciates that fully. And I've I've had a student come. He uh, I have a, one of my students is a white belt. He um, very very good white belt. Uh, he runs ultra marathons, and he went and did an ultra marathon in, uh, in Mongolia, um, oh, 150 miles or something in a couple of days. <laughs> and so he was training for that, and it was like it was like very hot and dry whilst he was there. Um, so he went away to train for that for a few months. Uh, he came back recently and said. I don't think I even recognize this gym anymore. Like it is so fundamentally di- like on a, on a, you know, uh, atomic level, everything's changed. And like, just blame yeah. fucking Charles Harriet. Um, <laughs> like he's, he's such an interesting guy and yeah, he's a, uh, is, is understanding of jujitsu and, and the damage he, he causes from it. I mean, we did a DVD together, uh, uh back in March uh, with fanatics called unstoppable standups. And it is based upon his elbow frame, um, oh, yeah. which he did at yeah. your gym. And again, at that moment of time, I didn't fully appreciate it, but since then, dude, I can't teach God anymore because of that goddamn <laughs> elbow frame. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, yeah. And yeah, you he's, just stand uh, up. yeah, exactly. If you're, if you're not holding me down, I'll just get up then. Uh, and I find it so hard to teach normal jiu-jitsu now because of that man. It was funny as well. You talk about uh, like the 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 stillness. Um, I remember, you know, again in my in my youth and my in my naivety, um, I do a lot of strength training uh, to try and you know think it was going to help me in jiu-jitsu, like pushing, pulling, lifting, squatting, whatever. Um, and then it was like realizing over time it was the stillness strength. Like I started uh, bouldering, rock climbing, and they have a. The isometric strength of just being able to lock off 
like half half you, you know have your arm halfway and just lock off on that strength and even someone said yeah. to me recently like you know climbers don't squeeze they position their hand and they stay still i'm like that sounds like jujitsu if i have someone in a clinch i'd not pulling them in i just lock i lock off um and uh you know, you, I remember hearing people describe like that's what you call the fight strength is when you meet someone who has um, that uh, isometric strength compared to you know a gym strength. Uh, completely changed how I train now for for strength in jujitsu. Um, I find climbing helps me more than going to the gym for strength yeah. reasons. Um, yeah, goddamn Charles Harriet. Like, I like not to get him I, on again oh I, I i'll tell you what he uh every time man he always shows good stuff man like it's uh it's eye-opener you know and it's like oh, i can use that he got an old guy like me doing going inverted now like i i, I stopped reverting because my back was hurt and he's like you want to just do it this way and he showed me kind of how to do it like how he does it. i was like oh i can do that so i'm like all right let's fuck with this and I, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun since i ran into you guys man you two guys man I gotta get you back out <laughs> yeah. here. Next time, when you get back to uh, this, uh, the states here, definitely, definitely want to get you in, man. Because uh, um, you changed really, my name. I, I should be back it. in the states, oh, oh, dude. Um, likewise, I, I, I said like it was, it was really fun. Like you know, Derek kind of you know, being such a a, a great connection. Um, and you, you have you know, I say the 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 gym atmosphere is created by the coach and uh you know if, if the coach is a douchebag the gym oh, yeah. usually ends up just a collection of douchebags um but your your gym and and how you guys were and you know not just bef- uh during this during the training we had but also prior and also after like it was it felt homely and it was another one of those gyms where you walk in and it doesn't feel like uh it feels like a, a a jiu-jitsu gym should and you know i remember getting to denver airport back in march you know a quick you know a few hour layover and i was like damn if i had more time i'd, I'd call in and it felt homely and i i absolutely miss being out of you guys i should be out probably before the end of the year like um uh um, i now have a reason to visit the u.s pretty frequently so i should be out before you know it i'd love to call in yeah. with you guys uh yeah, so uh, you know, to 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 close up and like you know, for we'll talk more of your stories, I'm sure over over food. But for anyone who wants to, because you do a lot of, um, you I've seen you have quite a bit of content you create as well. Like you you record your yeah. techniques. Um, yeah. How do people find more about you? Where do they find you? You know, uh, online, but also in person. Uh, your your technical videos. You know, yeah. How do you get so, more, Steve? Uh, yeah, well, if you're in uh, Colorado, Denver area, we're at um, Cathar Training Center. We're in Littleton. Uh, you can come in and uh, open door policy. we we'll let anybody come in. The, you figure uh, the idiots don't stick around because they get throttled if they come in acting stupid. But So we usually we have a, a pretty good mat that manages dipshits. But uh, uh, <laughs> online, yeah, uh, online we've got the uh, – uh, my Instagram, but I have my app, um, uh, Jiu Jitsu on the Go, jjotg.com. It's uh, Android, iOS. 
we even have uh, you on there too. So, so people could come and see what you and Charles did the first time we actually met. And then, um, oh no, yeah, yeah. hey, oh, it's good. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I sent you a link. It's good, man. I, I, I think I did send it to you, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I watched it a few times when you talked about the pillars and. You know, when you do yeah. the diagram, that helped a lot, making things simple for the the leg locks and everything. But uh, we also have uh, I also have one BJJ fanatics, the arm entanglement, something I developed uh, yes. when I was working with Chris Camozzi. Uh, he was getting back into fighting, and he asked me to be his jujitsu coach. And I knew he was going to go against a bunch of grapplers and PFL. So we came up with ways for him to lock up people's arms so they wouldn't take damage, so he could stand back up. Worked great. Um, fighting actually has been one of the coaching, uh, uh, MMA fighters on a professional level has been something that has been very, very good for my jujitsu because, um, you know, with those, I always tell people the fundamentals or the guidelines I use in my jujitsu are, are going to be, um, obviously, you know, uh, leverage over strength, timing over speed, natural body movements over flexibility and street effectiveness uh mma fighters want to stand up so they can get back to punching you uh wrestlers want to get to, back to standing up so they can you know take you down and, and grind you into a pulp so holding down mma fighters and jiu-jitsu and or um and wrestlers and then being able to work jiu-jitsu on them that's been really good uh for my jiu-jitsu is just being able to hold people down and uh but yeah, that's been a lot of fun as well. So um, I'm pretty happy with that fanatics. I'd like to do some more with him. I know you guys got a whole bunch of them, don't you? Yeah, uh, I think I've got three with them so far. Hopefully I get to go out and do some more. Um, yeah. We'll see. We'll see how these ones go. Uh, it's always fun going out to Boston. It was funny. I, it was literally one of the main messages I've been pushing, and I will turn this into a clip that what you just said is the – continuity of jiu-jitsu there has to be uh the mma has, it has to it has to be you know something you can do as an mma you can do in competitive jiu-jitsu you can do in self-defense it can't you can't have gym jiu-jitsu this outlying sport that has no connection to those things and yeah it has to you know when you talk about effectiveness you can yeah jiu gym jiu-jitsu can be effective where people just roll and um it's effective against other gym jujitsu, but once you put in people who want to get the fuck back up, does your jujitsu work? I don't know. Unless you train against people who are trying the same. Yeah. It's going down the Aikido route. Uh, okay. So yeah, I say it's, it's interesting to say that, you know, having these, these pro MMA fighters under your stable and going, it really makes you examine what makes your jujitsu work. Oh yeah, it's been it's been game changer. Uh, I stepped back in what twenty twenty. I started uh, coaching MMA again, and it's it was a, a huge uh, eye opener to me because like when I when I stepped away from it uh, back when I started teaching out here, like back in like two thousand eight, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I stepped away when I opened up my school. And I, I did a little bit of work with a few fighters, but then it just kind of fizzled out. And I was like, I, I'm just focused on jujitsu. Um, I, st I still had the right techniques because head down, good pressure. But when I got back into it, the game had changed so much. And the reason why I wasn't too interested in it in the beginning, it, was, it, was very, uh, it wasn't very um, 
strategic. It was very much caveman swing and grab. It wasn't very technical. And now the game has evolved so much to where it's very technical. And if you apply your jujitsu and those, those technical problems, I like what Hickson said. Hickson said that, um, and I, and I kind of, I halfway agree with this, not fully, but Hickson said that if, uh, he was asked if he believed that jujitsu was enough for MMA. And he said, yes. And he said, yes, if you train your jujitsu against a boxer, if you train your jujitsu against a, a wrestler, if you throw your jujitsu in these different environments and you learn to deal with those specific, you know, uh, type of um, um, situations, then yes. And I do agree with that. But I also like what you said. Um, you said that if your jiu-jitsu is contingent on its effectiveness on the clothing you wear, then your jiu-jitsu is kind of not that great. I remember you said that last time you were out here. Weirdly enough, I went to a Ryan Hall seminar a week ago um, yeah. of recording this. And his words were... Uh, your jiu-jitsu should work regardless of what you're wearing. And I'm just sitting there bashing my head into the wall, just like, you finally, <laughs> someone else is saying this. Like, weird enough, like, so some of the stuff I say on this podcast, about a day later, Dan Ho will put the same stuff on Instagram. And it's been a bit of a joke with, with me and one of my black belts. Like, you know, what's Chris going to say now that Dan Ho's now going to say? And it happens, some people who listen to this, then message me or like, yeah, he said like he must have listened to it because he's literally said the I exact saw that. same words. I saw that. Um, I saw that neutralizing about neutralizing the uh, uh, the attack first. Yeah, dude, it happened again the following day. Like one of my <laughs> uh, my friends, uh, affiliate for um, a good friend who was also affiliate, uh, Roger. He messaged me he's like, dude, I'm pretty sure he listens to you. I'm like, I fucking hope not. <laughs> like, unless he is going to listen to us right now. I'm like. Hey, John, um, I figured hey. you out, man. Uh, he probably doesn't. It's just me being paranoid. Um, you know, you know, yeah, like, it's, it's those fundamental ideas. Yeah, 100%. You know, on. It, it, what, one thing I, I noticed, too, is when you get to I feel like when you get to a certain level of understanding in jujitsu, that the funnel starts to get smaller and smaller. And then you start down this path of what is effective, what isn't what is practical, what isn't. And at, at the highest level, I'll start to see similarities. Like I see similarities with what uh, like Javi teaches that I teach. I see similarities in a lot of things, like just different ways of explaining it. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that that's a, I like the way he explained that. That's a better way than I was explaining. But I feel like once you get that understanding, you understand how the body works, how how to uh, anticipate some of the encounters that they're going to do to you. Uh, I feel like it just kind of funnels down a, a, a kind of uh, central path of effectiveness. And I feel like the guys who've been on it longer, they just a little further along that path than you. But uh, it's neat because you'll see my first experience with that was when, uh, I don't know if you know the guy, Paige Apano was a world champion back in the day when I was, when I was training and he, he came to – I met him in Brazil, and he came to Helsins. We'd always get these world champions come to Helsins in Hawaii, and he came out there and literally taught exactly what I figured out, like literally taught how I was doing my triangle. I put the knee across, you know, use my knee pull and, and strip the arm out, throw up the triangle. And if that didn't work, I'd throw the arm bar. And I was like, I figured that out. 
and here's this world champion coming in and teaching it. And then another time, Master Kaiki came in and he taught a, he's teaching a seminar and he showed me how he uh, recovers the guard with the backside shrimp, popping the shoulder, lead shoulder. I was like, yeah, I do that too. So I started seeing this happen over the years. I've seen this happen time and time again, where it really, I feel like all jujitsu Nobody really creates it. They just discover it. You know, like I feel all jujitsu yeah. already exists and we just discover it. And um, it, 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 there's definitely there's definitely something at that higher level where people just start doing the same kind of idea, maybe a little bit different, Completely. a little bit of tweaks here and there. But I think that's well, that like path of beginning. Mastery. It's, it's, it's physics and physiology. Uh, that's all yeah. jiu-jitsu is. It's, it's the blend of these two things and applying a human. And if we were to delete everything we have, we'd still rediscover it. I think the yeah. bigger problem and, and question of, of coaching is then how do we get across the physics and the physiology, not the techniques? Like, you know, that's, that's just an expression of the physics and the physiology. I, and it's almost yeah. like you need to convince people when they first start learning jujitsu like these aren't the answers you're looking for like you don't need to go online and learn a whole bunch of techniques i mean we're both from a traditional martial arts background as well like you know you said you uh started in other martial arts kempo karate before jujitsu i was in japanese jujitsu and that was you know very curriculum kata etc and that informed how i then initially approached jujitsu of like, i need to learn just more technique instead of yeah, I need to understand the physics and the physiology. If I understand that, I see the matrix, and that completely then changed how I I should then coach. As in, I'm trying to give you the physics and physiology. You'll then understand everything you see. I'm trying to show you the matrix, not techniques. Don't go yeah. looking for techniques. If you come to me saying I've learned this new new technique, I'll slap you. <laughs> You're looking <laughs> the wrong way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting here you say that. One technique that I liked in in teaching, and I don't know if you if you've played with this, but I I stumbled across this um, um, just kind of by accident. I was uh, teaching guard passing to my students, and I was noticing that like none of them could do that. Uh, they they were just they were missing it, you know. So I was like, all right, I'm going to we're gonna hold here and we're going to keep our structure and we're going to keep them. This is when I came up with grip tension frame opportunity, GTFO. So get a grip, uh, create tension through the frame and then you get your opportunity. And what I would do is I would just tell them, I'll say, get into this position where you have your balance is good. Your stability is good. And you have good frames and you have tension. You're, you're putting tension on the person. And I would just say, you stay there don't move just keep the tension and then i started seeing my students getting perfect timing on the moves because all that everything would be spring loaded spring loaded when the guard would open bam they would be moving right into that space because they're holding that 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 structure and uh i started putting people into um uh, positions of tension and i would say find your find your frames use your use your frames use your skeletal skeleton to like lock in and be there and be there like efficiently to where you're not burning a lot of energy just hold the position hold your structure fortified movement is what i would call that and that really when i saw that i was like 
I was like, I've been teaching jujitsu wrong. You know, because no, I, I, I think I showed it this results. week. Um, I call it Jedi, where I'll say to people like, you know, it's like Wing Chun, like like Kung Fu. Like if you if you be too, you know, too in the moment, uh, too planning ahead, like you won't feel the the adjustments they make. Uh, yeah, if you just you know put your frame against their arms, you'll feel the punch come early. Like I, I don't believe in kung fu, um, but I feel that when it comes to like you know like escaping things or passing, like be in balance. Don't think about anything else. Just be aware of their body. Close your eyes, uh, and you'll feel the moment come. Like you know you feel the adjustment through theirs. Um, you'll feel their body move first. Yeah, if you're too on the go attacking you'll miss those moments. It's, it's the same like with judo, like, you know, you hold on someone's gi and then you feel their, their weight shift and you just, you know which, they, which way they have to go. Um, and that is a, again, one of those skills that you have to say to people like, you know, stop freaking the fuck out thinking you have to do something. You don't. Be still. You'll be fine. Just like Charles um, did. Be still. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> again, Charles fucking Harriet. Um, right, <laughs> I, I'm I'm seeing him in a week's time in Germany, and I'm I'm going to talk to him about this because I think uh, schedule it'll probably come out whilst I'm in Germany, and yeah, fuck Charles Harriet, he's, he can have a bit of a, a go off me whilst I'm there. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I'll have to come over soon, or you can come over to the UK. Uh, I don't know which you know, I've uh, never which been. way that works. Really? Well, you know, uh, you're I, not missing I've never, anything. I've never been. Well, I, I definitely will. You never know. Like most of the traveling I do now is with fighting, um, or yeah, like yeah. if I, I got stimulus, but more fighting. So you know, I'm getting more, you know, high caliber fighters working with me. So you never know where I'm going to be. I know that uh, uh, I'm very happy, and very proud of of my uh, uh, my friend and, and one of my fighters that I, I, I coach, Basil. Man, he he got he got his debut and he's got a, a contract. He got signed by the UFC. We've got three more fights in the UFC. You never know where that's going to go. And then I have a, a couple other guys that are right on the cusp of breaking into that as well. So you never know, man. I'm, I'm, I don't like to travel as much anymore, but I've been having to travel a lot. And it's been great because I, I get to meet different people. You know, I get to, I believe, man, everywhere I go, someone's always going to add to my jujitsu because, yeah. you know, I have the humility to know that, this game is very big and I would love to tap into someone's mind who's been doing it for, you know, anybody's been doing it for 10 years or more or even, even less than that. If they're a specialist, that's not, everybody has something to offer. You can learn from anyone. So the more people that can show me something useful and then I can apply it to my game, the better I get, the better I become as a coach, the better I become as a practitioner. And, you know, it's just about leveling up, man. I always want to be leveling up. I think it was something that Ryan said, uh, Mr. Hall, uh, last weekend, where he said, you know, when you're at, especially you say it was on about the U.S. education system, uh, when you're at school, it's your ability to memorize, it's your ability to copy off a board and just memorize, and that will get you through your exams. Yet, for the rest of your life, critical thinking is the important thing that's going to get you through. And so I completely agree. Like, you know, I, if I, I will not discount someone else like you know if you someone comes to me and like uh, they're a white belt or blue belt or purple or whatever like you could be a doctor you could be an engineer you could be something someone with you know critical thinking skills in in yeah okay another field but you have 
the ability for critical thinking. There's no way I'm going to discount what you know. Like, if you can approach a problem and go, through my intelligence, I can see this. I'm like, holy shit, I want to hear from you. Like, just because you're yeah. not a black belt doesn't mean shit. Um, and so, you know, it's it's that kind of uh, hangover of jujitsu. Like, you know, the lower person can't ask the upper belt to roll like bollocks. Like, if you're if you're an intelligent yeah. human being, I want to hear from you. If you're a dumbass, probably not. But if you're an intelligent human being, <laughs> doesn't matter what belt, I want I want to listen to what you have to say. And you know, jujitsu is the the best vehicle I think for seeing the world because yeah. no matter where you go, oh, hell yeah, man. there's friendly people. I mean, you know, I I you know, I'm not a religious man by any stretch. You know, maybe slightly spiritual just because of this idea that you know I'm a kid from Stafford, England. You know, I don't even know where the fuck it is on a map, let alone anyone else. Yeah. I'm talking to a guy I met in from Little in Denver, Colorado. And you think, in what universe would we have ever met? Um, right. And the the idea that I could sit at your, you know, I remember doing it at the time, like sitting and you know, having food with you afterwards, just thinking, holy fuck, why am I here? Like, jujitsu, and anyone <laughs> with, with any interest in this sport, like, if this is like the final message we kind of leave on, like, Absolutely, like jujitsu will take you places that you never even considered if you let it. And wherever you go, there's someone friendly there, and you can have those weird spiritual moments where you think, "What the fuck am I doing here?" Like, but thank God I am. <laughs> right? I can't wait to to so come glad. back to Denver and and play more. Yeah. Hey, Chris, I, I'm glad we met, brother. Um, so I'm, nice, I'm excited. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you learn a lot about someone on the mats, and there's guys that you link up with. I've I don't know. You're one of the you're one of those people, man. That definitely I'm gonna see you again. Definitely we're gonna uh, I'm gonna learn from you. We're gonna show each other some stuff. And I don't know, man. It's uh, jujitsu's been opening doors in my life for many years. It just breaks down barriers. Jujitsu will change the world. Uh, I mean, it is. You know, and maybe it's not changing the whole world, but my world's changed. Your world's changed. Your students you have their world changes just starts with individuals and i think jujitsu is one of the best ways to make a, a positive impact in your community and, and, and just in your your bubble you know because your bubble expands when you start touching lives i think it was actually charles uh, just to finish on that man again not in that way that sounds <laughs> weird um he's a savage but like <laughs> the, like one thing like because you know my my first go in the u.s was him vouching for me of you know we met in the uk he was traveling through you know i set him up over here to do a seminar and uh he went back to the u.s and was like vouching for me as a brown belt to you know some of the gyms around florida and uh you know that paid off and you know that man he he is a proponent of karma like if you do good yeah it will come find you eventually and i remember actually i think it was when i spoke to to Derek about you know coming over to see you guys I was like look I'm with my friend Charles he's a fucking great guy you know I think Derek can do him from the Globetrotters videos but I was like look he's, he's come along would you mind and you know we've managed to come over and, and meet you both and yeah automatically you know you have this great relationship already I'm like karma again like I'm so uh, probably one of those other things like Jesus who's great for seeing the world but you have to put some karma to it and you know if someone does good by you like pass it on it'll, it'll pay yeah, yeah. off 
Well, when you come out, you get to stay. Hey, when you come out, you get to stay at the. uh, uh, You can stay at my house, man. What we did with uh, Charles and Natasha, I have a private mat room. We put it, we turned it into a room so you can stay at the uh, the jujitsu suite. (laughs) Does he? Does Charles ever leave that, or does he just like? I bet he freaks out the second he sees it and just wants to roll in there. Like just well, that man doesn't leave the mats. That's the first time we did that because you know we uh. We were doing a lot of remodeling with the house, and like, I was like, "What do you think? You can just stay in there. We'll make it look nice." So we, it did. Ask him about it, but yeah, man, when you come out, you stay with, uh, stay at the house too. We'll have fun, talk story, Can't and wait. we have the jujitsu mat, so we can just train anytime, whatever, man. Be good to learn from you. Can't wait to come out. I uh, say, so hopefully before the end of the year. But uh, thank you so much for for saying yes to yeah. coming on this. It's been been great to actually have a good conversation in a while, dude. It's been. It's been feels like no time has passed, but yeah, it's weird. It's been a year. Yeah. And funny, we've only met once in person, and it already feels this this easy. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been uh, it's been good talking to you, sir. And uh, likewise, I can't wait to come out. I can't wait to come out again. So thank you, Steve. Uh, and yeah, like uh, I'll put links to your your Instagram and the the, the gym website on. You know, if anyone's listening to this um, via Spotify, Apple seems to be what most people find on um if you go into the youtube video for this there's going to be links to to steve's work and definitely hit the guy up he's a he's a great guy if you're passing through the hub of denver like have a little layover and and go do some good jujitsu yeah right on right on all right brother i'll see you you soon man take take care dude see you soon bye yep bye